0: You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church and the world today.
1: Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am your co-host, Pastor Josh, along with Matt Shiles, and then in the background, our audience, our one-man <laughs> audience, Joe Curtis. <laughs> Peace be, baby. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's you know, it just Joe, adds yeah.
0: something to the to the it, room when we have an audience. We it, know he's. In the back, chuckling. We can, Absolutely. We can throw digs at him, and he, he's and not then close it very, enough yeah. to the mic for him to come back. It's like, yeah. it's like
1: he's in a cave, though. Whenever he does say something, like
0: <laughs> "hello, hello, hello," so, so. You know, I'm never quite sure how we're gonna start these. Things. You never know. I, you know, you never know. I don't know, and that's why I like you starting them because it just it makes sure I'm, <laughs> you, I'm awake.
1: You do, yeah, you just never know where I'm gonna steer it, so.
0: Well, we are in our um, Empowered series, and this is the first missionary journey, uh, Acts 13 and 14. And this was uh, May 20th and 21st. Yeah. And as a reminder, the main point, traveling on the road of God's mission has mile markers that keep our ministry on mission. Hmm. And as a reminder, the, um, the mile markers, they're not numerical like we would see on a highway, but they are experiential. Yeah. Um, and there's there's five mile markers, which there's really like seven, but that second point. There's well, the really second, yeah, but
1: but they all, but they, but they all together.
0: Yeah, because
1: so, they they really do form one mile marker when okay. you put them when you put them together. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. and I think the bulk of our conversation will, will be around those three. But let me okay. read through those as a reminder. Um, the first mile marker, the ministry will send people out on mission. Um, the second mile marker. Uh, has three things that are connected. The ministry will strategize to advance the gospel. It will contextualize to share the gospel and realize opposition to the gospel. Third is the ministry will attract people who are hungry for the word of God and will see people receive and be transformed by the gospel. Fifth is the ministry will seek to establish healthy churches Sorry, that was fourth. And then fifth was the ministry will consist of joy and celebration. So before we really dig into those, because I think there's a lot of great things to talk about today, um, let's open with this idea of Bucky's. I think, I think most services, you know, there's people that guessed that, right? They guessed it. No, yeah. it, it is the hottest thing right now. So have you been? Yes, okay.
1: multiple times, anytime we travel, even if it's to Daytona. My wife and my children—they have to stop at Bucky's. We need Beaver Nuggets. Beaver Nuggets. Have you? Well, so obviously, I, I'm seeing here that you've I, never been. Or Joe. All right, wh- this podcast is done. So we are ending today. Do Thank you, to Northland go? family and friends, for tuning in for another.
0: We're, we're about to <laughs> just take playing the yeah. yeah,
1: we're about to. Yeah, we're gonna take the road. We're gonna take the extra takes on the road so that y'all can go to Bucky's. So
0: you, do you say Beaver Nuggets? It's so, Beaver Nuggets. So what do I need to know? What do we need to know about Bucky's? So Beaver Nuggets, never heard of those. Well, because they're made by Bucky's. Okay. So yeah. So they're just chicken I, nuggets. They're no, nuggets?
1: no, they're no, no, they're not chicken nuggets. They're I don't know. They're like little puffs, but okay. some of them have uh, caramel, some of them oh. have cinnamon. So I mean, yeah, like I mean, it's just yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because anybody who's been to Bucky's, you you know what Beaver Nuggets are. So when I was first introduced to Bucky's years ago, we got these beaver nuggets because I had a friend that says, you got to get the beaver nuggets. I'm like, okay, okay. So I got the beaver nuggets and I would just eat them out of the bag, which is what you typically would do. And they're good. They're again, kind of a sweet kind of thing. But I'm like, but they're crunchy, almost like corn pops. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try these in milk. And so I had beaver nuggets and milk, and I'm telling you, they are pretty doggone tasty. Huh. So all of my Bucky's fans out there, if you do like beaver nuggets, get you some beaver nuggets, pour them in a bowl, put milk on them, and you can enjoy beaver nuggets as cereal. Yes. It's, yes. A, it's a whole world. It's a whole world. But but, but again, it's it. like the Walmart of like... Wawa. Like Walmart? Wah-wah Walmart or Wawa on like steroids. Okay. Yeah, I mean yes. huge Huge, yeah. like hundreds of, like a, I think about a hundred pumps of okay. gas. Okay. So, not not to mention, uh, yeah, it, yeah. So it's crazy. Like you can buy. Then they have a clothing section. They have a little knit knickknack section. Okay. They have a cafe, and then they have kind of your regular, yeah, grocery. Well, not grocery store. What what do you call it? Like yeah,
0: uh, convenience. Convenience. App, yeah. yeah. So you created an entire sermon around mile markers just so you could talk about Bucky's no about? but here's what here
1: was what was crazy I was trying to think how do I you know how do I well how will i start you know start this message out and so I started thinking about you know just one I started thinking about billboards like traveling but then as I got you know and it didn't even dawn on me at first that I'm talking about the first missionary journey. So they're traveling. So what happens when you travel? You see things. And so then it started, and really with the mile markers, because I wanted to— I wanted to kind of somehow connect the idea that as you travel down the road of God's mission, you will see these things. Mm-hmm. And so what do you typically count? yeah, you know, to make sure that you're on the you're on the same road? You yeah typically count mile markers, mm-hmm. even though we don't use mile markers the way we did in the past. but yeah, but that's why I started out with okay. and then with Bucky's and I did i and I could not find it when I wanted to find it. But I came across an image of a Bucky sign that said like over a thousand miles, <laughs> and I'm like, "What in the world? Like, what it was like in, you know, Arizona? You, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it was crazy."
0: You know, y- you should be awarded something if you take a picture of that sign and make it all the way there. You, I
1: mean, you yeah, free Beaver Nuggets for life. There you go. So exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's. Um, Let's get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you detoured us. We're using all this travel language now.
0: <laughs> so the this first mile marker um, to make sure that we keep our ministry on mission is the ministry will send people out on mission, and there's an idea here of sending costs, um, and you you don't just mean money, but in people resources too. I mean it's. It's a remarkable thing to see um, Barnabas and, and Saul. You know, just imagine losing Paul from your local church. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it can be, you know, it can be a hard one, you know, not wanting, not wanting to lose people, um, but also wanting to recognize, you know, the way the Spirit is moving and recognize, hey, hey, they might be being led Somewhere else, and that's a that's a wonderful thing for mission, even though it feels like it could hurt the local body.
1: This goes back to why the church at Antioch would be considered one of the greatest yeah. of all time. Yeah. Is because they did send out. Yeah. If you look at the church in Jerusalem, they really didn't start going out until persecution hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you when you think about it, in that respect of, of if we really are spirit led the spirit is going to send and multiply yeah and even and and I've I've encountered this in in the decades that I have been in pastoral ministry is that we have a tendency to to and internalize everything or basically shift the perspective and from external like sending out to internal yeah. you know, what do we what, what's happening within. Yeah. And that's one of the things I said is that if if you do not pay the cost of mission you will find yourself complacent and shrinking. Mm. And one of the ways that this kind of plays out is even when we see the difficulty of sending out, one of the ways that we, when I say church leaders, have seen it over the years is the multiplication of just small groups. Mm -hmm. I mean, for so—I mean, I'm talking—I've not been at a church where I've had people tell me, well, you know, we, we just can't multiply our small group. We've been together for years. So what you're telling me is that you're not willing to pay the cost of multiplication. Right. Because y'all been together and I understand, but that's what I'm saying. It cost us something. Sure. It cost us people. Yeah. It cost us in some sense friendships. Yeah. Like that doesn't mean you, you can't be friends, but but you're being sent out yeah. so that you can reach more people. Yeah. So so that what you've experienced in just a small group setting, it can be reproduced. It can be multiplied. Mm. So when it comes to really being on the road of God's mission, yes, we want to send people out that we might see disciples multiplied we might see life groups small groups multiplied we might see campuses multiplied we might see churches multiplied we want to participate in the sending and thus the multiplication mm. of god's mission and it cost us something yeah. so and i again, once again i understand that it's difficult because when you reproduce and and jesus even talks about this a seed has to die yeah in order for it to produce fruit, mm-hmm. and <laughs> that's huge. But it's the cost. That's why I intentionally use the word cost. Yeah. Like if we're not willing to pay the cost yeah. of sending, we will not reap the rewards or the fruit of mission. And, and and God is the one who gives the increase, but but it is tied to our our willingness to pay the cost.
0: Yeah, I. I think it's such a an interesting thing for us to wrestle with, and um, in the Scripture Acts thirteen two, it says the the Holy Spirit said, "Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work for which I have called them." Um, So we recognize that that our job is just to make sure that our hands aren't closed, right? Um, Our job isn't to push, but our job is, I I think, to keep our hands open and just see how how the Holy Spirit is working. (laughs) And that might mean sending the best. With Antioch, it was it was Paul and Barnabas, two of their best.
1: Absolutely, and and don't don't miss once again the the central role. Obviously, the Spirit plays, but through prayer and fasting. Mm, yeah, is that that reminds us of complete, utter dependence upon Him? Yeah, and, and one. <laughs> Something that I've learned over the years, too, is just how fragile the church is. Any local church, it's fragile. Mm. And if we're not careful, we'll think that the church rises and falls on us. But no, the church rises and falls on Jesus. Uh, But he Mm. calls us into partnership with him. Like, we are completely dependent upon him. Like, we cannot do this in our own power. We cannot operate in the in the power in which we're called to operate on on our own which is why we need the spirit and that's why it, it's the spirit of god that's going to make sure that we see these mile markers and if you don't see these mile markers I promise you mm. the spirit's not present and in charge mm. and here's another interesting part that you know I was thinking about because it also plays a role in in to some of the points later that we'll talk about but I want to want to note once, you know, and I think I've said this at some point, though, maybe the last time we were in the book of Acts, but when you read a narrative book like this, mm-hmm. like, I want to make sure that that what we're reading, particularly in Acts 13 and 14, it is a description of what is happening. Yeah. It's not prescribing that you need to do this. Yeah. So, what we're what we're really trying to wrestle with and when i'm when i'm in engaging and interacting with the text What you're also trying to see is, okay, these descriptions of what is happening when they're on mission, do you see them anywhere else? Do they form a pattern that when you're on mission, you'll experience these? And yes, Mm -hmm. it does form a pattern, which is why now you can take something that Luke meant as descriptive, and you can can apply it in a prescriptive way. Mm -hmm. That when the Spirit of God is in charge, there is a sending mechanism. Because, again, the sending mechanism is tied to Jesus and when he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. So, yeah. so, again, even though Luke is describing something, we are now applying it in a prescriptive way because of what we call hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. It's it's how you interpret – you're letting the Bible interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to the next mile marker that we talked about in strategy, contextualization, and opposition. Well, do you see that elsewhere? we and so yeah. so uh, and we can get into that but that's where i want want to be very clear that you know as i framed out this message yes i framed it out in a prescriptive way from a passage that is descriptive oriented mm. and the only reason why i applied it in a prescriptive way these five things is because i can show you those things
0: throughout really the realm mm. of of the bible mm. so that's great yeah um, so for that next point, the next mile marker, um, we'll start with strategy. The ministry will strategize to advance the gospel. Um, so in terms of being strategic, you talked about missional communities specifically, so I'd love for you to dig a little bit more into that. Um, where where'd the idea come from and why why would we do it? Well,
1: so in the last, see, we're we're in twenty twenty three. So in the last twenty four years, almost twenty five years, there has been this word that has been introduced into the mission world, missional. So, so that word missional has not been used until the last twenty five years. Now, Mm -hmm. it it, you could go back to another, you know, kind of maybe thirty. 40 years, and like somebody in 85, 86 used the word missional, but it was not widely adopted until 99 and 2000 with this seminal book called The Missional Church. And so from that, a lot of other conversations morphed out of this idea, okay, what does it mean by a missional church? And so over the years, what you have now is more and more talk about micro churches, home churches missional communities and, and, and so and depending on who's talking about them will depend on what they actually mean by them.. Yep. So here, and this is why we're working on these strategies. Yep. okay, what what is a micro church? Well, if you're going to use the word church, then it has to fit the definition, the New Testament definition of what comprises a church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that again, that we are working on what constitutes a church. And then the micro element is, okay, so we understand that a church can be small, mm-hmm. like what you see in Jerusalem, even what you see in Antioch, what you see in Corinth, at least in the first century,
0: yeah.
1: is this strategy that they did meet in homes. They didn't have church buildings, I mean, they did have synagogues, but eventually the Jews kicked them out, so they're no longer using synagogues, yeah. no longer using the temple in Jerusalem, so they start meeting in homes. So you had, and this is where this idea of satellite campuses really started to originate. You know, a few decades ago, is okay. Well, so you had one church in like Jerusalem or in Corinth, but in multiple places. Basically, homes. So, one church, multiple locations. Mm -hmm. And so, what, you know, so that's where this idea of satellite, but again, going back to this idea of micro is that, okay, less than 50, you know, because once you, once you hit kind of over 50 and you're starting to, you know, kind of, uh, see the trajectory going to 100 well it changes your organization mm-hmm. it, it change, because here's another thing that we see in scripture Acts chapter 6 we we commissioned deacons this past week well in reading that passage in Acts 6 when did they launch the deacon ministry when the church had already hit in the thousands mm-hmm. so they so prior to hitting in the thousands I mean in some sense the the apostles the the 12 disciples they they did they did everything but once they hit a Certain kind of threshold, mm. they no longer could do everything. So it's an organ. So what, one of the major reasons why you have the institution of, in some sense, a diaconate, a, a body of. Of believers, mature believers engaging in the care of the body was because of an organizational problem that they had. So again, going back to micro churches, that's why we're thinking of something micro that is that is small but manageable. But the reason why we're saying church is that they want to reproduce.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that that because that that's a that's a huge that's actually a huge marker of being a New Testament church that you want to reproduce, like you want to be a church. Yeah. And so missional communities then are really seen more as the 70 or the 72, depending on, again, what translation you read of Jesus sending them out to minister. Yeah. Um, and and so what we want to do is use missional communities in a way as—you as, as you can look at it as a—you know, we talk about life groups, learning-based, interest-based, function-based, and evangelistic-based. Yeah. You can actually look at missional communities as an E, yeah. but the, the two individuals or the two couples that have been sent out, their primary goal is to enter into a demographic of people who do not go to church who are far from Jesus— that's a missional community, and there they're developing relationships, mm-hmm. intentional relationships with people far from the Lord with the hopes that one day that these these people who are far from the Lord will repent, turn, uh, repent of their sin, and place their faith and trust in Jesus. So it's a missional community that they truly are missionary in their mindset and in their behavior to develop a community mm-hmm. of people who are far from the Lord.
0: Yeah, and I... I know last week we talked about the idea of definitions. I know you're you're big into defining things. When we talk about this strategy, when we talk about microchurches and missional communities, it is vital for us to define yes. um, because all because often the term missional community is used synonymously with home church or but for us that's not the way we're using it. So that's why we will define it well and give parameters what it is what it isn't, so yep. there's, there's clarity. Yep.
1: And so j- just to kind of let our, our friends and family in a little more into this missional community conversation is when we talk about a demographic – uh, we we talk about it could be it could be a golf demographic it could be a fishing demographic it could be a book club demographic it could just be a dinner club demographic in the subdivision or neighborhood that you live in like that's what I mean you know when when I say demographic yeah. and then what we're what we're doing with these. What we will do with these leaders who want to be a missional community leader is that we're going to train them in the art of spiritual conversation, right. is that we're going to teach them how in their in, in an everyday organic way through golf. Uh, through an Oprah book club, or through just dinner, how they can engage in spiritual conversation without feeling like they're a used car salesman yeah. or woman. Like, yeah. So pardon if there's any used car salesman listening to this. Like, I'm not picking on you, but y'all know what I mean <laughs> through the use of that phrase. That we're not, we're not yeah. trying to bait yeah. and switch you. We're not trying to sell you Jesus, but in an organic, natural way, yeah. we're engaging in spiritual conversations. Because we do believe, yeah. as even the research points out, that people are spiritual, although they may not classify themselves as religious.
0: Yeah, and a lot of this is just recognizing where you already are in your everyday life, right? Do right. You find yourself at the um, ballpark. You know, three or four days a week around around other families, right? You find yourself um, at karate. Are you in Toastmasters Club, right? Like some of this will be intentionally entering in, and some of it is is us training you into relationships that you're, you're already, already in. in, and it's just it just becomes this natural way um, for us to equip you better into um, having these conversations where it's just it's just natural. It comes yeah. out in the, in a natural way. Um, so so the next piece, the contextualize, um, we actually have a listener question. Oh. Um, so this goes back. Is this Joe? No. So this is Cookie. This yeah. is Cookie from Ponce Inlet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, talking about micro um myself, Pastor Gus, um, Bradley, and our intern, Riley, we went over and visited with our Ponce Inlet um, home church um, this past week. And first person I met was Cookie. Yep. And he said, I listen to Extra Takes and it's awesome. I said, well, I, cur- I encourage him to send me questions. So he sent us a-, a long question. And really it was about this idea of age-specific ministries. So you right. talk about one of the ways we can contextualize is through age-specific ministries. Um, but he brought up a, an interesting point. How do we balance doing age-specific ministries while also wanting to cultivate, you know, intergenerational um, community? You know, specifically where all the generations are learning from each other and we are, we are a robust community. How do we balance the two? This wanting an intergenerational community but also doing age-specific ministry.
1: Well, Cookie, that's a great question. And since Matt's already responded to your email, I, I I will let this be the response. So, but Cookie, you are such an encouragement. Let me tell you, like, yes, you have encouraged me on so many different occasions. So definitely love answering this one because it is a debate out there. Yeah. And the debate is Family integration versus age-appropriate ministry. Now, obviously, I tip my hat this past week of where I'm at. Yeah, I do see it as a contextualization mm. element to mission, and but at the same time, I don't um, I don't discount this idea that we do need to have moments throughout the year where there needs to be integration because the children also need to know what. What it does look like to be part of the larger church? Yeah. Okay, so that's children, students, and all of that. So a couple of things here at Northland, just of how we are integrating throughout the year. So every fifth Sunday, first through fifth grade joins us in 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 the in the gatherings that weekend. Also, a couple of times throughout the year, uh, the children lead us in in song. And then also for students, we're, we're giving them opportunities, even from middle school up, that, to be integrated through serving the body in some way, like in children's ministry. We have teenagers that are serving in, uh, on our worship arts team. Like, so we want to have a more integrative uh, approach to, to ministry. And, and so, yes, I think you could do both and mm-hmm. – And we can even do better at the integration part. But here's another way that we we think integration can happen, and we would love to see more of it. When you have adults serving back in children's area, that's integration. Yep. When yep. you have adults saying, you know what, I'll be a small group leader for a middle school ministry or for a high – that is integration. Yep. And then the way our life group model has been set up to learning, interest, function, and evangelistic, they're they're actually not in some sense framed out. For specific age groups. Now, yeah. there will be some kind of life groups that would be for parents of teenagers. So that that typically will kind of at least give more of a framework of the age of the person. But yeah. uh, John Small's Bible Boot Camp, he has all kinds yeah. of of age ranges. Yeah. And, you know, so so we I would say that we are doing integrative ministry. Can we do better? Absolutely. But to really, especially to really bring out, because many, here's what I would say, many people don't realize why there's age-appropriate ministries, which is why I took the Mm. time this past week to say here, and we saw it very clearly, Paul said this to the Jews Paul said this to the Gentiles, yeah. it was two separate kinds of messages yeah. with the same elements within the message, but two different ways. And so, so I want people to realize that the reason why we have age-appropriate ministries and not only our church, but really many churches, even if they don't articulate it, yeah. it's really for missional contextualization. I even told people this past week why I don't flip through the Bible a lot during my preaching yeah. is it, it, because if I'm sitting here saying, okay, will you turn back to you know? There might be people out there, I don't know where Exodus is. So they're like having to go to the table of contents. And by the time they find Exodus, yeah. I'm already moved on. So I'm, I'm letting the Bible, you know, I might reference it, yeah. but also I, I'm wanting to grow in how do I speak? Mm. And, and communicate God's word to a, an incredibly diverse audience, to an audience where someone's been in church for the last 50 years of their life. Yeah. They have 66 books of the Bible memorized. If I told them to turn to Malachi, they could. And and, and but sure. then I also have somebody that they just walked in here on the street today, yeah. and they don't even know the four Gospels. Yeah. You, you know, uh, and the only you know the only phrase they know of Jesus is what the culture uses. You, you know, Jesus Christ in in a, in a negative way yeah. yeah. you know so how do you and then how do you close that gap and and that is a huge challenge mm. but that challenge is a contextualization challenge yeah. um, and and so I and it's a huge responsibility that I see yeah. uh, which goes back to what we, we and this is this is fascinating, but it says that they it says they they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Process that one, that yes, the Holy Spirit is in charge, because we also see earlier on where where all who were appointed for eternal life believed, (laughs) but then they spoke so effectively. Yeah. This is, again, God's... God's sovereignty, his divine sovereignty and human responsibility working together. So why do I study so hard? Yeah. Why do I think through mm. creatively of how am I going to articulate mm. you, you know the the truth because I I really do. I want to grow effectively mm. as someone who can effectively communicate God's word, but knowing that if anything good happens, it's, it really isn't because of the effectiveness of my communication. Yeah. It's because of the Spirit of God gave me that, and the Spirit of God drew them to it. Mm. You, you know, so but but still, it still it says that they spoke so effectively, and there again therein lies a contextualized, you know a contextualization element of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it it really is both and
0: oh I love it I love it thanks thanks for that and thanks cookie for that question um it was a joy to be with you this weekend and the whole crew um so let's move on to the um the third point of the second mile marker
1: <laughs> oh the
0: opposition yeah, yeah. yeah. Opposition.
1: how do you yeah so I'm gonna so what did you think
0: there were some zingers in there or there some zingers yeah
1: yeah i, I thought they might fall you yeah, fall a little heavy
0: i've uh I've heard you say some of that before and, um, and a lot of, there's a lot to process there. It's, it's hard to, um, you know, you've given us a lot of information in, in, in here specifically when you're, when you're kind of creating this paradigm shift, um, it can be, yeah, it can be a lot for us, but I, I appreciate you going through specifically those, those questions, right. That we should be asking culture. So, um, You said the the way people oppose others reveals a lot about their object of faith. Yeah, and and I think we can see that on both sides, right? Which is why I apologized. Yeah,
1: but but here, but I I do want to I do want to even bring out some more clarity because people might say, well, what about the Old Testament? Okay, and what about more specifically? The conquest, Mm -hmm. you know, because God went in there and he used his people to fight against the inhabitants and to wipe them out. Okay, he did. But if you read Genesis chapter 15, he's telling Abraham that the sin of the Amorites, the inhabitants of the land, Mm. it's not yet complete. Mm. So, 450 years, God is going to be gracious to the inhabitants of the promised land. Mm. And when he delivers his people from the hand of the Egyptians and he's taking them to the promised land, the reason why. He is using his people to enter into the promised land in a conquest manner is as a tool of judgment against the sin of the people inhabiting the land. Mm-hmm. Which is why when you read Joshua and you read the story of the conquest, you have the sin of Ai mm-hmm. and, 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 or the sin at Ai where Achan, he is an Israelite. He has gone against what the Lord had told Joshua and the the leaders, don't let happen. You know, everything needs to be devoted to complete destruction, and anything that is taken needs to be devoted and committed and given to me. Well, uh, Achan kept some things for himself and hid them in his tent, and Joshua uncovered that, and as a result, the family and Achan, they all perished. They They all died. They, they they were put to death because of their sin, and the and the reason why I was this is that God could not judge the inhabitants of the land when His people act just like the inhabitants, mm. and, and so so yes, there there was the conquest, mm. but it but God is not going in there and fighting and. And annihilating these people just for the sake of it. No, it's a tool of judgment, which is also one of the things that we do see. Um, the, the fact of the presence of the church and the way we would live distinctly and separate from the world, although we're in the world, mm-hmm. is a tool of God's judgment. So as we, and that's where it goes back to that map that I showed, where we're expanding through invitation mm-hmm. versus how the Roman Empire expanded through conquest. Mm. But as we expand through invitation, and now you have the embassy uh, of, the, of the kingdom of God set up in the church, then what, what we're saying to the world, which is why we're going to elicit opposition, is that what you believe and the way you are living is not right, right? It's actually wrong, but we're inviting you into – God has sent us Mm -hmm. out into the world, to every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. He has sent us out to invite you to be part of his kingdom because one day he will come, Mm -hmm. and one day Mm -hmm. he will expand his kingdom through conquest Mm – And so Jesus came as a suffering servant the first time, but he's coming as a conquering king the second time. And so, but before that happens, he's sending us out Mm -hmm. as this messenger to warn you, but to also invite you into his kingdom. And so, therefore, it is an act of judgment Mm -hmm. because, again, the world already stands condemned. Jesus told us that in John chapter Mm 3 but he's inviting you in, mm. which again, that's where you have the opposition. And so so we know that we are opponents up front, but, but how do we oppose? We oppose through love. Yeah. We oppose through caring. Mm-hmm. We oppose through mm-hmm. truth and grace mm-hmm. because it it actually reflects mm-hmm. the object of our faith. Mm. That's how Jesus came. And, and so when when you have people that, that are vehement, vitriolic, mm-hmm. venomous, mm-hmm. violent, against those who believe differently, who think differently, who are in in opposition to to what th- then what it shows is that that's that that's who your object of faith is. Yeah. It's your object of faith is more militant. Yeah, uh, which is I'm you know still watching the chosen. And I'm on the episodes about Simon the Zealot. Okay. So, so he believed that God, his, his object of faith, Yahweh, was militant yeah. that wanted to, to slay the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. which is why Jesus was a, such a huge paradigm shift to people like Simon the Zealot. Mm-hmm. A, and so, again, he would reflect when he was a zealot, he would reflect the object of his faith. Mm. So, when people, like even how people leave a church, if they leave a church in a venomous way, a vitriolic way, it really shows that that right now is the object of their faith, that how they, uh, 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 of, of what they think is that we're, you know, and so, and I'm like, my goodness, like how we act. Mm-hmm. That's why when you look at the, that framework of our faith, yep. worldview, mission, the center being the person, ethics, and then practices, Our faith, the totality of our faith, actually reflects the object of our faith. Mm. So if the way you live does not reflect Jesus, then do you really know him? That's why when you look at how we oppose people, Mm. do we know the real Jesus? (laughs) Those are some zingers. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but yeah. that's where and that's where I'm trying to tell people like for, like we are I and it starts with me as, as the pastor, we are called to a higher standard. Yeah. like I heard this statement that oh you, you know uh, that you know somehow Northland is choosing doctrine over people. yes mm. because doctrine tells us what we believe about God and what God wants for us yeah because if if it becomes people over doctrine, then we're no longer a church we're just a community club with some some spiritual language. Yeah. And so so now no Jesus has called us to a higher standard because ultimately everything we do in life mm. should reflect him, mm. including how we oppose people, mm. how we love our enemies. And so yeah, I mean there's wow. some zinger. So so where where do we want to go deeper in that?
0: A- yeah. Yeah, amen. Um I don't think I have anything else to add for that, but um, so I, you know, and I didn't say this in every
1: uh, gather, gathering. I think I added this. I added this. I think on on Saturday night. But you know, the last question I said, "Are you set on becoming a monolithic culture?" Fixed. You know, really, fix uniformity around a single belief or idea rather than allowing a pluralistic culture to exist where there is true freedom of religion and thus a marketplace of faith and ideas to exist and to compete with one another. And I do I do want to tell the, the church this too, is that it is called we live in a nation, a, a democratic republic that was founded upon pluralism, freedom of religion. yeah and so so there there has to be, there has to be at least some 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 tolerance to people to think differently. Now, one of the things that we're losing as a nation that we do need to pray for is, is a commonality of what holds us together as a nation. Mm. And, and Judeo-Christian values did hold this, na- because when you have no values, when you have no, again, when I say values, set of values where we, we define what, what, what a man is, what a woman is, what marriage is, when, when you lose that, then it really does lend itself to anarchy where every man for himself, and then when you have no unifying principles, mm. then you really have have no you, you have no country at that point so so we, we do need to pray for America of what is our center mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we don't force people to, to believe like Christians believe yeah, yeah. We, we, we live it out mm-hmm. and we invite people into it but what we are seeing today is this movement towards really intolerance uh, this this movement to force feeding, Again, things that, things that a subset of our, you know, of our culture accused the church of doing in the past, mm-hmm. but ultimately moving towards a monolithic culture mm. where, where they're wanting everybody to be uniformed into their thinking and behaving. And if you, if you don't think like us and believe like us, then, then you're dead to us. And then that's not very American. Yeah. And then I would also say this to people in churches – um, because you, because churches, one of the reason why we have multiple denominations, and multiple churches is because at some point, there was a differing mm-hmm. of, of views, mm-hmm. a different set of maybe beliefs, or adherence to doctrine, and so. But, but just a differing of doctrine doesn't mean that you should be venomous yeah. to those churches that do not hold to your doctrine. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so that, that, again, that's where I want to say. So persecution, which, you know, is hostility or ill treatment exists when people have a weak faith and a weak mind. Mm. Is that when you, have not, when you have ceased to think deeply mm. and to have a robust faith, that's when you turn to venomous attacks. Mm and and, and, and that, that that's something that I, I mean I want Christians to be hit with yeah. is because we love to post things on social media because it, it is it, it is not only is it height of immaturity, but it actually reveals a shallowness yeah. about their faith when they attack another church because they don't hold to the same beliefs that that church. Maybe they ever had or that they've shifted. Mm. and the church hasn't. And so they they just go out attacking. Yeah. That is a weak faith, that is a weak mind, and that shows a lack of courage. Mm. Isn't it a very immature way of opposing? Mm. And we as believers should do better. Yeah. And that's
0: another zinger. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so you've, you've left me speechless. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, but uh, you know, all of that is obviously um you you feel convicted about it. You, it's a it's a it's an ongoing issue that's going to become more and more important um, as we are um, we're just so divided as a, a country. And um, you you pair that with our biblical illiteracy in some ways, and we feel yeah. like this idea of we need to def- defend our God and hold. Know how closely he can defend himself yeah. um, when you talk about this marketplace of ideas. And
1: we shouldn't have to apologize for what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Like we shouldn't. I mean, I, like if you want to be mad at a church, oh, I'm fine. But, but this, is, yeah. this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, and for more than 2,000 years, I mean, because he, he, here's the thing, uh, J- Jesus didn't in some sense change the essence of, of, of the value set mm, of, mm. of how we should live mm. from from the Old Testament. Mm. I mean, if you take the Ten Commandments, it was all about how you love God first and then how you love your neighbor second. Yep. Like, yep. Um, But you love God first. And then, you know, and that's where I went opposition, like one of the things that we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. And the further we move into the 21st century in, in, in the West, we are going to be faced with opposition that people are going to, uh, they're going to oppose us and they're going to be very venomous and vitriolic about what we believe about sex, what we believe about marriage, what we believe about gender. It's just, and so, but we don't need, as I said, we don't need to acquiesce or accommodate the differing beliefs and values of those who think differently differently so that we can, in some sense, lessen our opposition or enhance the relevancy of our faith. Mm. Like, no, because, again, we start with God first Mm. and what he wants. Because if we start with what man is doing, what man wants, you'll never get the God of the Bible. Mm. You'll always try to rework him and reframe him and reimagine him into what you want. And we don't do that. Mm. And so, therefore, and, and that's why it's a mile marker. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm putting strategy, contextualization, and opposition. It's one mile marker because if you're not seeing opposition to what the Bible teaches, mm. then you might not be living out the teachings of the Bible.
0: Mm. Mm. <laughs> Yeah,
1: another amen. zinger, another zinger. I'm throwing out zingers. I'm like, you know, reliving my my youthful days of pitching. I'm just I'm, I'm I'm pitching out some zingers today. So, no, but I mean it is like and 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 I'll just and again, I'll just say this while we're on it because it, it is so prevalent right now. We can love people without agreeing with everything that they want us to agree with. Yeah. Amen. We can love people without affirming. Yep them yep. in everything that they do. Because yep. here's the thing. In parenting, we learn this in parenting. Yep. We can love our children without letting them do and agreeing with everything they, they want to do. Oh, yeah. Like the most loving thing that we could do for them is not to agree with everything they want to do. Oh, yeah. Because they haven't been, you know, and I don't want to go all through it, but we know what we're, you know. But yeah. Yeah. And so we can love the culture. Hmm. Without agreeing with everything the culture does. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and I, I appreciate you you really digging into all that because um, the extra takes gives gives you an opportunity to explain a little more. You know, we get to hear a little bit more of your heart. Um, you know, you're not just um, you're not just up in the pulpit. Yeah. you know, trying to use it as a bully pulpit. Right there's this there's this heart and there's this love and um and there's truth and truth has to be has yeah. to be shared and um and we're missing that love piece if if the truth is omitted
1: yeah and but you're you but you are delivering the truth in a very gracious and loving way yeah but i would just refer back to the passage and the message that paul gave to the gentiles here's what he says telling you to turn from these worthless things <laughs> Yeah. Could you imagine? This is the first time he's meeting them and saying, "Hey, by the way, <laughs> yeah. uh, what you worship, yeah. what you want to ascribe worth to, they're worthless." Yeah, you, you know. So, so your th- and that's where, like, when I um, and and I didn't get to it because I, I didn't have time. But again, part of the contextualization here like in the 21st century, we will continue to call out the gods and idols in our life for both the religious and the non-religious mm. or the religious and the spiritual. Oh, and so uh, when, when when you look at Paul called the religious out for, their, for how they had elevated the law, he called out the irreligious, the, the spiritual, but kind of in some sense the irreligious, the Gentiles, from for for worshiping worthless idols and so today cultural christian you know cultural christians that root their salvation in their works and making sure that they are religious we need to call them out you have you have created a worthless idol yeah and then to those who are uh, the the, the secular of the culture we have to call out their gods Mm -hmm. and their idols consumerism and materialism Fame and success, position and power, sex and sexuality, individualism and identity. Mm -hmm. So to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it, that's individual autonomy. That is not what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you want to be whoever you want to be in order to search and find out who you are, listen, if you got lost, you can't find yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're going to tell you the Bible. But there is somebody who came searching for you in your lostness mm-hmm. who's going to give you an identity that is unshakable mm-hmm. because it's rooted in him. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to call out idols to both the religious and the irreligious, the spiritual, like we are, and because that is the contextualization. But you cannot call them out mm-hmm. unless you know what to call out. Right. And that's again, that's what Paul. And eventually, we'll get to Acts chapter 17, maybe in 2024, yeah. where Paul's in Athens, and he's like, "Man, I've observed how basically spiritual you are, mm-hmm. and you've even erected this 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 idol, this statue to an unknown god. Let me tell you about him." And yeah. then he starts using their own poets. Mm-hmm. So, so. He's able to call out their idols because he 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 had understood their culture and their context, mm. and then to be able to call it out. Yeah. So I know we we Amen. we I mean, this is the the digging a little bit deeper. Of course. Yeah. You know, in that.
0: Well, let's do this. I know okay. we're running low on time. Um, I do want to get to at least one more of these mile markers. Um, that third one, the ministry will attract people who are hungry for the Word of God, and we'll see people. Receive and be transformed by the gospel. You you had mentioned you don't have to put on a show. All you have to do is preach the word of God. So I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about how do we balance the contextualization of of ministry with this point. Especially, we have a culture that values a good show, um, and um, we we worship. You know, our worship is not meant to be a show, um, but it's visually appealing and and all of that. So so how do we balance that bringing people into worship in a contextualized way and even your preaching um, without you know without trying to just um, put on a show and and tickle your tickle their ears. The
1: the short answer would be have leaders have to well the short answer would be yeah, well, Sorry. thank you. Well, uh, Sorry. Now it's going to be very Sorry. short. It's going to be very short. No, uh but leaders should, leaders need to teach it. Yeah. You know, just how yeah. I took I took the, you know, the time in the passage yeah. to say this is why I preach the way I do. This is why I don't flip through this, you know, like I mean, yeah. there's a there's there's all and for me and this is why I feel like in the and I don't want to speak this over everybody, but there's a lot of lazy leaders in the church today mm-hmm. where we're just doing what's always been done. And it's like this. If we constantly just use the word gospel, mm-hmm. but we never define the gospel, do we really know what the gospel is? Mm-hmm. Which is why I really try to say – you when i talk about the good news uh, that that jesus is in the process of making all things new through his death and resurrection that is a very very short synopsis of what i mean by the gospel mm-hmm. but if i just use the word gospel all the time and i never try to clarify it then do we really know what the gospel is mm-hmm. And so, and that's kind of why it's so important that we teach people why we do what we do. Like you know, we're really working with the worship uh, team and, and and Pastor Marsh of going like there was a, there was a song that we sang two weeks ago, mm-hmm. where the word was Hosanna, and I asked I asked the leaders at at a, at a table that Monday I said, do y'all know what Hosanna means? Crickets. Mm-hmm. And basically, Hosanna means pray, Lord save me. Mm-hmm. So it's this it's this crying out for the Lord to save, mm-hmm. the Lord deliver. It's a plea. Yeah. But but the one of the ways that we protect against a show is that we're always teaching people songs. Yeah. We're teaching people why we do what we do. Yeah. Uh, like one of the, and and I know that I I talked about this. Um, I mean gosh, months ago when we we were talking about creation. Mm. And one of the reasons why we use lighting and haze is because these are elements of culture making that we've taken raw materials and we've developed lights that you can even move up and down. We've developed machines that can enhance an environment. I mean, because one of the things that you do see in the temple is that you see incense, you see smoke. There was an environment that was made by the temple. Like when you're slaughtering bulls and goats, there's a smelly environment. Environment. Yeah. Right? And, and, and because there's the smell of death. Well, that was intentional. Mm. So that you realize how how wicked you are. Like, I mean, so so everything from from just an environment standpoint, if we cease to teach people. Now we can't do it every single weekend, like, yeah. hey, let me do walk through the list of 50 things of what no, sure. but in appropriate ways, and that's one of the reasons why we're starting to record quick little, you know, kind of two, three-minute videos that tackle why we do what we do. Mm. Because because I really do want people to know that we're just not doing things just to, for the sake of doing them because yeah. we've always done them. Yeah. But there really is a theological, doctrinal reason of why we're doing, f- from even running lights yeah. to a haze machine. Um, and, and so that that's, that's one of the ways to protect against mm. the show. Um, and another way to protect against the show is um, a show has a start time mm-hmm. and an end time. Mm-hmm. And we are so conditioned, even in the church, where we, you know, yes, we want to start on time because we want honor. But, but also, we want the Spirit of God to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a tension and a balance that we have to, we have to wrestle with in the, in the 21st century is because it is in a show. We don't want to say, "God, you know what? you only got an hour and 15 minutes to do what you want to do. Mm. You know you only have you know, 45 minutes to be you know, so, so those are other ways that we, 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 we have to protect ourselves from this consumeristic yeah. entertainment type of show versus we are the people of God coming together mm. to worship our king. Mm. Yeah, that's so, wonderful.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of you know, that idea you talk about with the messy middle. Um, in some ways it would be easier not to enter into it, but, um, you know, entering into it, being intentional about it, um, continually um, making sure, revisiting it and making sure that we are, um, you know, we, we understand the condition of our flock and we understand, we make sure we're, we're, we're correcting when, when needed. And because that stuff doesn't just happen, right? You have to speak against it and speak against it and continually um, remind ourselves to remind others. Absolutely. Um, so, I'll just give you the the final word. I know we're we're close to out of time, but anything else that you wanted to uh, to touch on in our last couple?
1: Yeah. Moments? Um. Yeah. The okay. So so two particular things. When I was thinking of the idea that people are hungry, I, I did just think about U 2s song from years ago. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I yeah. really believe that song is more relevant today yeah uh, at least in our context for for even the younger generations coming coming behind us yeah like they, they, they are really trying to find something and if we don't give them the word and 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 the and the hard things and the easy things if we don't give them the word we we give them nothing that truly satisfies mm-hmm. and and so that's where I, I want us to i really want us to always, be people of the word. And then the uh, the other part is a healthy church, because I think we all know what an unhealthy church is, mm-hmm. but really what is a healthy church? And that's, again, why I defined a, a healthy church. And to be honest, that was fun to try to define that, even in this context, because, again, he's going back, and it says he's strengthening mm-hmm. the churches. And so... Obviously, Paul wanted them to be healthy, mm. and that's why he's writing letters. He wants them to be healthy. And so you could actually look at his letters that he writes, and what is he doing? He's telling them to exercise the faith. So, like, take the book of Romans. Mm. It is not only a theological treatise of what we believe, but the latter half is how you flesh it out. Mm. Ephesians is the same way. First half of the book of Ephesians is this doctrinal, this is what we believe. The last half is how you live it out. So mm. it's this element of exercise. You cannot exercise what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so he's teaching them the doctrine and he's telling them how you live it out. Mm-hmm. So the doctrine is what what it means to be strong, the practical living is how you exercise the faith, right? Mm-hmm. And so that constitutes a healthy church, which goes back to why we need to be people of the word. These mile markers, like you, you know, again, you're seeing like that's why like it's descriptive, but you're sent out. What are you sent out to do? Well, you're strategizing how to advance the gospel. You're contextualizing the gospel in the heart language. Mm-hmm. And know this, you're going to see opposition. So don't give up. Just realize that there is going to be opposition. And then what what are you going to do as as you uh, as you commit yourself to the word? You're going to see people receive the word. So they're gonna they're gonna be transformed and then you're going to try to establish a healthy church, <laughs> and then you're going to live in joy and celebration. I mean, I'm telling yes. you, that is a never-ending cycle of what the church is. Yeah. yeah. Send out. I mean, I don't want to go through it again, but yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. know, but yeah. And so, when you look at establishing healthy churches, that's what we're shooting for. Mm. Because I'll just be honest. Like, yes, I think everybody knows that. You know, the last the last you know five, ten years of north and we haven't been that healthy. Hmm. So when when you try to get healthy, yeah. there's some changes that that have to happen yeah. in order for you to get healthy. Just think about individuals who are unhealthy yeah. and they need to start getting healthy. They need to start working out. They need to start eating better. Yeah. It, there's a pain involved yeah. to establishing a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And so when you take a church like Northland, who's been in existence for 50 years, it can be easy to become unhealthy. Mm. And, and so that's why I, you know, I wanted to define what constitutes a healthy church. And so it's a group of believers led by godly leaders. Like That's what you see in the New Testament. That's why you have elders and deacons. Mm. You have elders who oversee, deacons who serve and care. And so again, the two offices in very general uh, kind of uh, areas, oversee and lead, so, but they all have to be godly. And then they have to remain true to the faith, which I unpacked that right, and they are remaining committed to one another. But and this is what and I and I promise you, if you ever see a church split, it was it was because something went awry in the faith. Mm. Something happened. And maybe they started majoring on minors, and so they split. Yeah. So they, they failed to remain true to the faith. They yeah. started to major on the minors, yeah. and so people got sideways with one another. They no longer were committed to one another because they had lost sight of what, their, what the true faith was, and then they split. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, like, I, I mean, I I actually love that the Spirit of God came up with that definition because it is a very clean mm-hmm. Clear, concise, mm. especially when you put the framework of faith after it. Worldview, mission, the, the person who's the center, Jesus, ethics, and then practices. But, uh, but that's a healthy church. Mm. So when you have infighting, and then here's the thing. When you have a healthy church, there's going to be joy. And celebration, even in the midst of pain mm. and disappointment mm. and opposition, and that, like, because joy isn't contingent upon your situation or circumstance. Joy is contingent upon who you are and whose you are. Oh, amen. And so, so that 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 was kind of the last word. And. So, Northland, family and friends, well, I hope you have enjoyed the book of Acts this year because we yep. won't be in the book of Acts until, Lord willing, 2024 when okay. we will pick up with Acts 15. Okay. And we will try to complete the book of Acts next spring. Okay, good. That is what we're going to try. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that happens. But I love the book of Acts. It is a blueprint mm. for how the 21st century should look at herself and how she should operate. And so, North and family and friends, we love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Blessings.
0: Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.